Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Debate is how to add value, and that's by doing something clever. It's, it's, it's value other than what would occur naturally through rent increases and affirming yield. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shump and in this episode, we're chatting to Chris Lang, a successful commercial property investor. We'll be learning about Lang's 9-step commercial property strategy that has revolutionized the purchasing of commercial property, the best advice he's ever received, his worst investing moments during the property crash in 1999, and much, much more. Lang previously shared with us the struggles he encountered selling a $51 million property which was already a challenge. But he starts off sharing with us one of his worst investing moments. The market plummeted 40% virtually overnight. Um, I mean, look, it was blood in the streets. And investors were heavily borrowed and they were madly trying to offload properties. And I said, well, I had you know, a, a reasonably large sales team. Um, at that point, I had actually divested of the two residential offices so it was only commercial um, but I, I needed to step back take a helicopter view of what was really going on because I mean not only have to look after my own family and, and um, I had these this sales team and a lot of them had young families themselves so you know I, I it, it's very difficult you just can't uh, the next day, sack them all. Um, anyway, in the process of, of looking at you know what could be done, I realised that there was still a whole host of wealthy investors who had actually pulled their money out of the stock market two years earlier. Now they were all cashed up and they were looking to invest again, but certainly not going to rush back into shares. Instead, they wanted to take advantage of the what were really excellent returns and the huge discounts now being offered from well-led commercial property. But they faced a dilemma, and that was that their complete lack of understanding when it came to the fundamentals of investing in commercial property. And you see, everything had virtually changed overnight, um, and they knew there were plenty of bargains out there, but they simply lack the, the know-how and therefore the confidence to properly analyse and assess the opportunities in front of them. Um, I mean, there were loads of property on the market, but um, you now had a definite short shortage of, of um, 
qualified buyers, and that's that's what I made that uh, decision to change horses, as it were, and, and act for the buyer, who was now the, the the strong one in the marketplace, and then help them sift and sort through the the properties available. For Lang, starting to act for the buyer instead of the seller when it came to property was a light bulb moment and led him to realise he needed a formula for investing in commercial property that would work whether the market was up or down. But as you can imagine, the, the, the banks were running scared because of the parlous state of the commercial market. And and if they were prepared to lend, more often than not, their, their property valuations would come in at less than the purchase price and therefore the traditional approach for structuring a deal um, no longer really uh, stood true. And and that meant that really, despite all the successes and experience I'd had on the selling side, I needed to come up with a totally new formula or, or, or method for packaging a deal, given that the property market and the economy were now in, in complete disarray. And... Um, you see, even though I had negotiated some good purchases for, for some of my new investor clients, we would often find, as I said, the bank's value was submitting a lesser figure because the lenders who were already heavily exposed after the crash had become overly cautious as far as their their lending uh, was concerned. And, and so the usual approach simply didn't work. Unfortunately, lenders always had the final say, or so it seemed, if you were prepared to be bound by the traditional way of buying a property. And and just to summarise that, you, you sign the contract, you go to the lender, you have the property valued by the, the bank's valuer, and then you hope that that equaled the price that you paid. Now, as I said, it wasn't in the, in the early 1990s, 93 to probably about 94 or 5. And so, you know, to overcome that, some investors would say, well, look, I'm going to buy subject to finance. Now, if you're lucky enough to strike a vendor who's really desperate, you might get away with that. But most vendors are reluctant to take their property off the market, especially when there's no certainty of a sale. So the other thing I had to consider was that when the market started to improve, as I knew it would, vendors would be even less likely to agree to sell subject to finance. And and that's when I realised the new formula that I was putting together had to cover every aspect of the transaction and also needed to work in a rising market as well as a floundering one. Lang eventually came up with a nine-step formula, which since 1993 has completely transformed the way people invest in commercial property. By this time, I, I realised there was no turning back. I simply had to find a solution because, you know, I had to survive financially. And so after spending weeks pulling apart and analysing traditional approach to purchasing commercial property, I came up with my new nine-step investment formula, which since 1993 has completely transformed the way people invest in commercial property. Now, you have to understand that none of this is really sort of moon landing stuff. I mean, all I did was 
reverse engineer the investment process, starting with things like identifying and analysing the commercial property um, to negotiating, documenting and financing the purchase through to its ongoing ownership until you ultimately sell the property down the track. And, you know, everything was pulled apart and put under the microscope. However, with all the components now laid bare, it became clear that two of the steps were clearly occurring in the wrong order and a further three simply weren't being actioned um, so as to fully safeguard an investor's best interest. And suddenly it seemed so obvious. And I started to wonder why no one else had bothered to recognise this before. And, it, and then it hit me that there'd been no need to until the turmoil from the property crash had been unleashed. And up until then, people were um, prepared to blindly accept and, and follow what had presumably, presumably evolved over generations, perhaps centuries, as a way of transacting commercial property. And, I mean, they'd simply never bothered to question why, nor considered that there might be a better way of structuring a commercial property deal. So, anyhow, I, I, what I, I, um, I can do for, for listeners, if you like, is um, I'll, I'll give you a link um, that you can go to a keynote address that I gave to a, a conference of um, about 1,200 delegates and um, access to that is normally $67 to uh, listen to that keynote address. However, what I'll do uh, for your listeners is to uh, give you a link where it'll only um, big cost will be a dollar. Um, if they type in when they, they click on that link, the uh, coupon of 66 off uh, into the coupon box and that will um, give them access to that and that will completely explain that formula which um, you know I can't really go into now. We haven't probably got the time. But as I said, if they just type in, in lowercase 60, the number 66 off, O-double-F, into the coupon box, um, they can grab hold of that for, for just a dollar. Lang answers the question as to why he wrote seven books on commercial property and where you can get them. And the answer is really quite simple because there's really only a handful of books which fully explain the fundamentals you need to know in order to be successful. Most of the books are American or uh, full of sort of hype and success stories that you're, you're unlikely to emulate yourself certainly not from relying on reading these books. And you'll find on my website, commercialpropertymadeeasy.com, that there's a whole host of material, uh, most of which you'll discover is, is free. Um, and so you know, that's what I suggest people look at because there's really not a lot of sensible books available in the marketplace. They were each written for the, the time, um, uh, the, the the last two, um, how investing in commercial real estate really works, um, and then the latest one, 
which, I, which I've called Commercial Property Made Easy, um, which got on to number one in two categories and as Amazon bestseller. Um, so you, you can get those either directly from Amazon or from um, from the website Commercial Property Made Easy. He then shares with us the best advice he's ever received for when it comes to investing in property. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I probably that came through my playing, uh, you know, top grade football. And that is that I'd always rather have on my team someone who might have 80% ability but 100% commitment because I knew if they did something went wrong, it wasn't their fault, rather than have someone who is immensely talented but doesn't necessarily use all their talents. Um, you know, and I mean, with commercial property, it, it, it's basically a game. So if, if you're able to uncover the rules, then you can begin to play. But true success only comes when you start to master those rules. And so, you know, you have to put in. It's it's not something you can you can you can play at. I mean, it's serious. I mean, it, it, you don't want to get bent out of shape over it, but um, you have to decide that it's something you want to do. Lang has some advice for us when it comes to dealing with people, and tells us why he always carries with him a notebook and pencil. What I find whenever you have dealings with people. You, you, what you try to do is to keep the ball in someone else's court but always let everyone know where it is. And that way you keep things moving and never get blamed for causing the delay. I mean, what I find some people do, and, and most agents are not good at this, they, they say, but I've been working so hard on it and, and, and you know, I just got into trouble. They, didn't, they don't keep their clients involved and, and advised or up to date. I mean, a client, if they know what you're doing step by step and it doesn't work out, they'll live with that because they've been kept up to date. But if there's a gap of two or three weeks between one conversation and the next and it doesn't work out, you'll, you'll be blamed for it. It mightn't be your fault, but it's a matter of keeping everybody everybody advised and up to date. Another thing, um, I always carry with me a small notebook in my shirt pocket at all times, along with one of those Stadler pencils. And that way, I'm never fumbling for somewhere to jot down an idea or notes, even if I wake during the night. You know, now mind you, I'm the only one that can read it in the morning, but... Um, you know, you have to be able to do that. And, and you know, I'm reasonably high-tech in, in, in what I do and the way I've set up my website, just as you probably gathered, if, if I can. I've automated one half of the transaction we were talking about. Um, but this is, you don't confuse technologies. So I've been doing this since the first year I started in real estate. And so, you know, it's close on 50 years and... You see, if you can, um, the evening before, make notes on something you've got to do the next day, more often than not, the ideas will start to flood into your mind so that when you wake in the morning, 
you hit the ground running on that report or proposal that you need to write first thing the next morning. See, most people, when they've got a big report to write, they put it off and put it off. The, the, the secret is just make a start. As I said, you might be sitting in front of the telly or, you know, waiting for your partner to have a shower or something that night. Just jot a few notes down and it might just be three or four bullet points or thoughts or something. But, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been shaving and I've got an idea now. Or, you know, most people think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember that. Well, you won't. Right. You get in the office and say, "What was that? I had? What was that idea I had?" Just write it down. You know, it's real. It's it's not rocket science. Um, and sometimes your best ideas come to you when you least expect them. You know? Coming up after the break, hear more about the particular steps in Chris Lang's nine-step commercial property strategy. The first one is. Uh, how to filter your properties. Then if you become part of my mentor group, there is um, some proprietary software I've got that takes, I think, about 18 components. His technique of self-marketing when it comes to advertising property. Use that time to prepare a website, dedicated website, that has everything about the building, everything about the tenants, everything about the, the marketplace, uh, any ad- adding value options that people have got. What advice he would give to his 20-year-old self? But if only I'd realised this 20 years ago, it would have made made such a difference. All that and more coming up after the break. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. further elaborates on his first few steps of his nine-step commercial property strategy, which involves filtering properties using his app and buying subject to evaluation. The first one is uh, how to filter your properties. Um, as I said, I've, I've created an app to help help them do that. Um, then, if you become part of my mentor group, there is... Um, some proprietary software I've got that takes, I think, about 18 components and it's called the final judgment software. So in other words, you've got your shortlist, now you put them through this complete financial analysis and create a projected cash flow going forward. Um, The third step I call how to sleep soundly. And you remember we talked about people want to buy subject to finance for just for that peace of mind that they're going to be able to get the money. In fact, you don't have to buy subject to finance. You need to buy subject to a figure you know a valuer will support. And so what I do is I've come for, on behalf of my clients, I've come to an arrangement with a firm of valuers to tell me in advance the figure up to which they're prepared to support. So, so long as we don't do a deal higher than that, then we know that that's what the figure that they'll do the valuation at. Isn't that also dependent on the leases and also the area and what's been sold in the past though when, when you come to those valuations as well? Correct. But, but what I've, I've given to the valuer 
is all the information I have, the information memorandum, everything about the property. And the value is at the level I'm talking about know most of the properties that are available. They might know the specific lease details, which is what I provide, but they physically know the properties. They, In the course of their activities over the last 5, 10, 15 years have been in, in or, or around the property. So uh, that's not difficult. <laughs> Excuse me. So um, they can readily provide me with what we call, you know, the max, the upper limit that they would support. He then tells us the next couple of steps in his nine-step commercial property strategy. The next step is negotiating the deal. So, I mean, it's all very well having that figure, but I've got to package it up and get it down to no more than that figure, ideally, in most cases, less than that, that figure that they will support. So, we've negotiated the deal and we've... Uh, uh, um, exercise the uh, executed contract and exchange that. But what I I build into the contract is a due diligence period. In other words, to validate it. Now, if it's a smaller property, that's not necessary. But once it gets up over a million, million and a half, two million or whatever, you want time to analyse it. So my approach is when the vendor say everything's fine, I say that's that's beautiful. I believe you, but I just want the a um, couple of weeks for my team to evaluate and validate the the purchase price. Well, not only the purchase price, but the property itself. Now, you know, if a vendor balks at that, well, my response immediately is to the agent, well, is there something wrong with the property? Are you concerned we're going to find out there's some defect? Um, most of us say, of course not, no. I say, well... I don't want extra time. We'll enter into the contract, but we have a, a period, whether it's sometimes if, if it's a simple one, we might do seven business days. Um, I start at 28 business days, and generally we finish about 14 business days. Now, it's interesting. 28 business days is actually a long time when you take the weekends. doesn't sound that much. So even seven business days is actually 10 days. Right, so right, so um, we we validate the purchase, and therefore um, people can um, feel comfortable that they've sorted out the commercial terms, so they're happy with the price, and now we just validate that the property is what we thought we bought. Next step is how to lock in your loan terms now. Part of the deal, going back to step three, which was the valuer and how to sleep easily, part of the deal I did with the valuer was if you'll provide me with that limit up to which you'll support, when my client buys the property, as soon as it becomes unconditional, I will have my client instruct you, the valuer, to go and do the valuation. You say, well, what's smart about that? Well, the thing is that you see, normally the valuer who is on a panel of lenders or on a lender's panel has has to normally wait in line because they circulate. There might be seven or eight on the panel, so he gets every seventh or eighth valuation from that lender. This way, he gets it guaranteed. Right. So that's why 
when I explained the, the process, they're happy to give me the figure up front that they support because they know they're guaranteed of getting the valuation as soon as we buy it. The next step is to tie together the valuation and finance. Now, the real thing is that we get them to give us the valuation as a soft copy, not a bound copy. And then we give it to the mortgage broker who then sends it out to the two or three or four potential lenders. And the unspoken implication is don't muck us around as far as um, the commercial terms of the loan deal or the legal terms of the loan deal because you haven't yet been approved or appointed. So what was, remember I said originally I found that people were doing things in the reverse order. Most people go cap in hand to the lender. The lender organises the valuation and particularly back in the 1990s and it's happening again now with um, the concern that with the banks having in the Royal Commission is that you know two or three weeks after from settlement they come to you and say, look, and credit committee is a little bit nervous. Uh, we need to have a lean over your business as well. Now, two or three weeks out from settlement, you've you got nowhere to go, right? Because they own the valuation. So by doing it this way, not until we get the commercial terms we're happy with and the financial terms or, or the legal terms of the mortgage document we're happy with, do we tell the valuer to assign the valuation across to the chosen lender. Now, they don't like it. But, but all, it's, I mean, you're going to pay for the valuation anyway, whether it's via the bank or, or you instructing it. So you may as well get most, <laughs> most value out of the valuation by doing it this way. In the next two steps of the nine-step commercial property strategy, Lane delves into adding value into one's property. Step seven is setting up your tax benefits. That's depreciation and so forth. Uh, step eight is how to add value. Now, um, and that's by doing something clever. It's, it's, it's value other than what would occur naturally through rent increases and um, affirming um, yield. So, I mean, so when you buy a strata title, most people assume that's all you've got to live with that. But with most of the ones I buy, you can actually further subdivide the strata title. It's legal to do that. Most people don't even know that. Right? But let's let's leave that aside. If you buy a property, standalone property, and it's got three levels, well, you can immediately add value by creating a, a separate strata title for each floor. Correct. Or you might divide, you might, it might be three floors, but you can actually create six titles because you can put two, two separate um, tenants or, or titles on each floor. Now, you may not ultimately sell it as individual titles, but the mere fact that you have now six titles or three, depending on what flexibility there is, instead of just one title, will generally shave about 0.5% off your selling yield. So in other words, if you bought it for 6.5%, you could sell it for 6%. In other words, that's value you can add because the next purchaser 
knows that if they get caught short during the term of their ownership, they don't have to sell the whole property. They could sell off one, two, three, whatever's necessary of the smaller titles and still get to hold some of the property. By doing that, I guess the question is, is how much would you need to invest in doing that to do the property? Because it's, it's obviously not going to be, it's going to be another additional cost to it to add that value. Depending on the size of the property, it'll cost you anywhere from eight to $20,000, but it could add anything from eighty dollars to $200,000 to the value of the property. So it's a pretty small investment. It's just at least 10 times the value of the cost is added to the property. He then shares with us about the final step in his nine-step commercial property strategy, which is called stealth marketing. I automated one half of the transaction, and that was delivering educated buyers to me. Well, this is using technology to also um, sell the property. Now, most people, when they talk about an inter- using the internet, they simply put it up on uh, commercialrealestate.com real or real, realestatecommercial.com. There's a couple of them. And that's their idea of putting it on the web. What I suggest people do, and I've done with, and th- th- I mean, the property needs to probably be at least $2 million or, or more. But you create a, a dedicated website for the property. And instead of preparing an elaborate information memorandum, you actually put all the details up on the on the website, and and and, and you tell it as a story, and you also include all the legal documentation as well. You see, when you'll notice now that very few properties go to tender. They used to but they don't anymore. They're more, mainly expressions of interest. Now, the reason for that is that, and I say this ever so kindly, most agents are lazy in as much as they want to rush the property on the market but don't necessarily have everything in place to, to satisfy the questions that the purchasers are likely to ask. And therefore... If you go to tender and you, you've been asking questions and little by little you've got information, you, you have this sinking feeling at the end of the campaign, do I really know all that I need to know about the property sufficient that I'm prepared to put in an unconditional tender? And so therefore, people were putting in effectively expressions of interest and that's where that process evolved from. They put in an email or a letter or something like that, but it wasn't binding. So the agents thought, well, if you know, if that's what they're going to do anyway, we may as well just do an expression of interest campaign. So, again, I just sat down and thought about it. Well, the reason is that they don't feel comfortable that they've got all the information. So why not, given that um, it's going to take a lawyer to prepare an auction contract probably two or three weeks, use that time to prepare a website dedicated website that has everything about the building, everything about the tenants, everything about the, the marketplace, uh, any ad, adding value options that people have got, and also have a, a complete section of, of the absolute everything, legal documents, that the, the contract, the vendor statement, 
all the individual town planning, all the everything. Now, the beauty is that it's, what normally happens is that agents will have an ad in the paper and they, people go to the property and they get part way through the inspection they say, no, it's not what I want. So from the agent's point of view, they wasted half an hour getting there, probably half an hour in the property, another half an hour getting back to the office. And it was unproductive. By having a website, the potential purchasers know within 10, 15 minutes whether they're interested or they're not interested in the property because they've got everything there. Photographs, some videos, all the documentation. So if they then ring about the property, they're already partly briefed. And what I find is you go to an inspection then, they come with printouts from the website. So they're already fully briefed. But the real clincher is when it comes time to put in... Oh, and the other thing is that what I encourage vendors to do is to, if they've got a recent valuation, to actually put the valuation up on the property, on, on the website. And, 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 you know, initially I had a bit of objection to that. And I said, no, think about it. The first question an agent gets asked is, what do you think the property's going to sell for? Now, let, uh, yeah, yeah, but and there's, there's two responses. If you, whatever you tell them, some people are going to think, oh, is the agent's underquoting and just wants to get me interested, or the agent's talking the price up um, to, to get the best possible price for the vendor. Right? So I said, if you put the valuation up there, it's, the, the agent doesn't have to say anything. You've got a, a valuation trigger... And, and let's say it's um, uh, the figures, let's say $5 million. It's no longer a $5 million decision they've got to make. It's a, it's a one or $200,000 decision. Am I going to put in a bit slightly less than that or slightly more than that? But it's no longer the, the agent trying to kid you along, they think. The valuer, has, it's independent valuation that's been done probably for mortgage purposes or whatever. Um, so that focuses their attention. So, again, it removes that uncertainty. Am I shooting in the dark? No, I know what the valuation is. Right? So, so they make a commercial decision now, we're going to come and start less or slightly more. So when they get to the point where they put in a tender, they suddenly realise, gee, if I don't put in a live conforming tender, there's going to be other potential bidders who have all the information I have who will put in a conforming tender, in which case the vendor will accept that and I'll miss out. Last of all, Lang tells us about what advice he would give to his 20-year-old self. Well, for someone who's been in property this long, I guess I'm surprisingly tech-savvy. Um, and that has now helped me to automate 80 to 90% of what I do. But if only I'd realised this 20 years ago, it would have made, made such a difference. Chris Lang is also giving away a free report called the Investor's Guide for Commercial Property. To download your free copy, simply visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash commercial property guide.
I'd like to say a huge thank you to Chris Lang for joining us on this episode of Property Investory. If you'd like to find out more about his journey, head over to propertyinvestory.com.au or you can download your free report by visiting propertyinvestory.com forward slash commercial property guide. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from LA. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.